So our scripture today is Psalm 51. Um, I always encourage you to take out a physical Bible or your phone app if you have one. The words will be on the screen, but when we get into the message part of it, it's sort of um, shortened so that it fits on the screen, and then you might want to see context as I'm speaking and preaching. So Psalm 51. Hear the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole, and bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. So in this uh, season of Lent, we've been um, thinking about communion. We'll be participating in communion today, and for the next number of weeks, we'll be thinking about different themes that are part of communion. Um, And today, we actually start with the most straightforward one, which is communion as cleansing. Communion as that understanding that we are participating in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that washes away our sin. Um, And so to do that, we want to look at Psalm 51 today, because it is um, probably the best-known Um, confession psalm. And as we do that, um, though this is a very basic concept of Christianity, confession and forgiveness is Christianity, if you will, right, through Jesus, Um, we want to look at this psalm as it leads us to think a little more deeply into how how do we walk through and participate in and experience the realities of cleansing that comes from confession. So first, you must think by now that my favorite word is context, because I seem to have that in every one of my slides or in every one of my sermons. Um, and this one is, is striking to me because um, the context for confession, in my mind, makes all the difference in the world to helping us become a confessing community. Right? So put up your hand if you enjoy telling other people what you've done wrong. It's an easy one, right? Because you didn't want to put up your hand anyways. Right? This is uncomfortable stuff, and yet it's the basic reality of what it means to follow Jesus. 
Now, I think one of the things that we need to lean into is the fact that when David confesses, and if you read the italics before the part I started reading, it says, this was written after Nathan the prophet confronted David after his adultery with Bathsheba, not to mention the killing of her husband, right? So this is a pretty difficult spot in David's life, to say the least, right? But when he comes to the point of confession, he starts with this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love and according to your great compassion. I I read that this way, God, I know that you're incredibly merciful and loving and compassionate. I know I can trust you with the worst things that I've done and that you'll forgive me. So think about this for yourself. To whom would you be more likely to confess? To somebody who you know when you say, you know what, I, I did something horrible, I, I really hurt this person, they'll say, I hear you, and I'm glad you confessed, and let's pray, and you are forgiven. Or do you want to go to the person who, as soon as you say, you know, I did this, they'll go, I can't believe you, you're horrible. You can feel the difference. God wants us to understand, and I think this needs to be said, because sometimes it seems the church has projected that God is this angry old man up there who's just waiting to get us for something we've done wrong. And if it weren't for Jesus, he would get us. That's not the Bible story. The Bible story is he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's pretty much God's name in the book of Exodus. That's his nature. That's who he is. There's nothing God wants more than to be the merciful, loving, compassionate God that he is. And so as we come to him, it might be in fear and trembling because we've got our stuff to deal with, but it shouldn't be in fear and trembling because God's going to get us, right? And if we don't confess properly or enough or fast enough or all those things, no. God wants to be the incredible loving parent that he is and welcome you into his presence with whatever it is that you are dealing with and need to um, share with him. That, of course, does also imply that when people come and share with you, you reflect the image of God in that exact same way, that we become the community of people who represent God in this merciful, compassionate, and loving way. That's the context. So there's numbers, so that's going to tell you there's seven slides and then a bonus slide, so that way you'll know how far I am. So complete confession. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is right in, in your eyes. Sorry, done what is evil in your sight. Um, and then he actually goes on to say, so you are justified in your condemnation. You're justified in your charges against me. So most of us, probably all of us, when we confess something, what's really going on in our mind is, yeah, I, I know I did this, but like Adam, it's the woman you gave me, it's her fault, right? Or it's because my parents, they didn't raise me properly, right? Or, or other people are doing it, so how bad can it be? We always want to find that excuse that gives us at least a bit of an out, because again, we have a really hard time just being really honest with God and going, yeah, I did it, I'm sorry, and it was horrible, and there's no excuse for it. I just should not have done that, right? There's something actually even harder if you're if you've grown up in the church context, unfortunately, because we've been taught how to live well, and that's a great thing, keep teaching that, but there's always that sort of feeling like you shouldn't be making mistakes anymore, you shouldn't be falling anymore, and so we have this shame, if you will, around an open, honest, and complete confession. And yet again, 
As we lean more and more into the reality of who God is, who Jesus is, their incredible love and compassion for us, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were so confident in God that we were just natural confessors? That right after you did something, right, you imagine yourself doing this, you speed on the way home and you go off to the officers, uh, the police officers, and you go, by the way, officer, I just sped on the way home, I'm sorry, right? That's an exaggerated illustration, but imagine having that sort of sense of, I just need to keep myself in a pure and open relationship with God, where I'm not scared of what he, and in many cases, other people are thinking of me because I know that my primary identity with Jesus is he loves me, he has compassion for me, he went to the cross for me, and so he will invite me in in confession as well. Lifelong and learning. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David here is getting at, this wasn't just a one-time thing. This is part of the, the reality I live in. This is part of the system that I live in. This is part of the origins that are part of me. And then he says, verse 6, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb, and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. I think this is instructive and interesting. One, it teaches what we normally call original sin, which I've suggested you could also think of as systemic sin, right? They essentially mean the same thing. But it also says sin is a teacher, right? When you make a mistake and you get caught and you confess and you learn that you're actually forgiven, that's a great learning. You learn that you're loved in spite of the fact that you've done things wrong, right? And maybe you can think of illustrations of that. I certainly can. Times when I've said to somebody, I'm really sorry, and I thought, oh boy, that's the end of that relationship, and they forgave me, and they welcomed me, right? I trust that's what part of parenting is, right? When you catch your kids doing something and they say they're sorry, you don't kick them out of the family, right? Right? Okay, you're not going to tell me for sure that you're not kicking them out of the family. Wow. We don't. We welcome and we love and we carry on. That's part of what it means to be in these kinds of relationships. There's a learning and a growing process in this, right? Um, I, I shared last week at the beginning as we missed... Um, Ash Wednesday, that's what we missed. We missed the Ash Wednesday service. I wanted to teach, and I want to remind you that again, that we are creatures immortal. That's part of the dust to dust, ashes to ashes, which means we're always limited, right? So it's okay for us to be able to say, I can't do everything well. But that's a different thing than saying, well, we're all mortal, so it's okay if we sin. No, that's the part that needs confession. That's the part where you need to say, I shouldn't have done that. That hurt somebody. I'm sorry, and I need to grow in that area, right? You don't not need to be able to do math and music and reading and all those things perfectly well, but you do need to confess when you've hurt somebody, when you've broken a relationship, when you've done something wrong. There's a learning and a growing part of what it means to confess. It's a way to develop, um, develop our souls. All right, and then completely clean. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. So uh, Pastor Peter um, Trannenberg is here, so I'm going to give this one to him. I don't know what hyssop means in this passage. If Pastor Brady was here, I'd give it to him because he loves doing this kind of stuff. I looked up hyssop, and they basically said over and over again, yeah, whatever they're talking about, that's not the hyssop that we use today. I go, well, that's helpful. Right? And there's that hyssop branch that comes out at Good Friday when they put the sponge on a branch of hyssop and hold it up to Jesus. I'm not sure how that connects, so 
I'm going with I don't know on this one, but if somebody else has a great answer to that, I am totally open to finding out about that. Main point, however, luckily, Hebrew poetry always repeats itself. So cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean means exactly the same thing as wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And I know what wash me and I'll be whiter than snow means. Whiter than snow. Have you ever been out in the snow on a sunny day? Let's say, for instance, yesterday, right? And if it's just a field of snow, it's kind of blinding, right? What does whiter than that look like? Right? I love this image because it tells us when Jesus forgives you, that's done. Not only is it gone, it's not just faded. It's washed so bright that you can't even look at it anymore because of the purity and the beauty and the wholeness. As we deal with confession and forgiveness in our relationships, in our community, right, we need to continue to remind people that Jesus' confession or Jesus' forgiveness is a complete thing. It's a complete washing away, right? Um, it's a complete healing. And so as we lean into that, remind ourselves that, no, Jesus forgave that. I'm not hanging on to it anymore. I'm letting go. I'm putting it down. I'm not going to keep bringing it up and hanging on to it. And then admit this. That's actually hard. Right? If somebody has hurt me, even after I forgive them, I have a hard time letting go of that. And if I've hurt somebody and I'm aware of that, that memory sometimes comes up and I'm really aware, shoot, I, I, I really hurt that person. And I know I'm forgiven, but that hurt. That brokenness in the relationship is still there. And so just remembering and reminding ourselves and sort of having this in our head washes me whiter than snow. I am completely cleansed in Jesus Christ is something we need to continue to tell ourselves. And then five, the heart of restoration. Here are the words, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me your Holy Spirit and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Romans 8 says, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, right? And the thing about forgiveness is it doesn't end with this interaction of me confessing and me hearing forgiveness. There's a deeper part of it where God goes, not only do I want to wipe away what was wrong before, I want to build into you this new heart, this new spirit, this new way of being so that your heart beats for what is true, all right? So if we reduce Christianity to regularly coming here and confessing our sins and hearing words of forgiveness, we've got a good start. We also need to add the part, as the Bible does, of the Holy Spirit, of growing, of being developed, right? And for this, I want to suggest to you that we need to do some work, all of us, on an ongoing basis. And that work is paying attention to what are the things that I regularly do wrong that hurt other people? What are my bad habits that hurt other people? And as we come to think about those things, and this may require a counselor or somebody else to walk you through this, find out what is it in my life that makes me keep doing that? Pay attention to that. Figure that out, right? Don't just keep doing it. And then when we find those kinds of things out, wonder what's the truth, or the lie really, that I believe behind that that keeps me thinking, right? So if you have an addiction of some sort, the question really is, why do I keep going back there? Probably in your head you go, that's not actually fulfilling the need I have. That's not filling the emptiness in my soul. I just keep going back there. Figure that out. Find that out. Get some help to do that. And then in its place, put a word of truth. And a word of truth can be, I don't need that. That won't fill my soul. That doesn't complete me. Whatever it is that I'm taking in, thinking that that's going to finish the journey for me, it's not working. When we say those things, we can say things like, I have all things in Christ. Jesus fills me, right? 
I have community around me that blesses me and cares for me. Whatever it is that you need to say to find that spot, that's God saying, I need your heart to be renewed, and I will help you by my spirit renew your heart in such a way that you think the right thoughts, the pure thoughts, the appropriate things, and that becomes your new habit and your new way of being. Again, it's one thing, and it's the beginning thing, to confess and hear forgiveness. The next step is, how do I build new habits and structures and plans into my life so that I live, out, live this out in a uh, more natural and ongoing way? This one's easy, I'll just let you read it for yourself. So, assuming that David wrote this psalm in the time frame that it says, and I assume that's true, he starts out with, have mercy on me, he confesses, he's looking forward to having his heart made pure by God, and by verse 13 here, he's already ready to start teaching other people, right? And you'll notice he doesn't say us transgressors, he says, now I will teach transgressors. He's already, he's already moved on, he's already healed, he already understands how fully he's, he's been forgiven, that he's calling the other people the sinners and the transgressors. And he says, God, I got a plan. I'm going to help you turn these people around. That's pretty amazing. It's really, it's really fast. So feel free not to be quite that fast in your journey with Jesus. But if you are, awesome. The point is, however, what we've learned again, right from the womb, about brokenness and our sin and what it means to confess and what it feels like to be forgiven is something that we get to use to tell other people, right? Um, Someday, soon, in the next couple of years probably, I think I'm going to do a series on the 12 steps because I think the 12 steps are a really awesome way for us to deal with our, our sinful realities. The end of the 12 steps is where you go and invite other people to come along on this journey, where you tell your story, where you say to somebody, you're struggling with an addiction, well, you come along to a, a, an anonymous group with me and we'll deal with that kind of a thing, right? When you have truly experienced being forgiven you're going to want to tell that story. And as everybody in almost any business knows, your best advertisement is word of mouth, right? That's true with Jesus as well. When you understand and can experience and can tell the story of this is what it was like for me to be forgiven, that's catchy because probably the person you're talking to is going, I'd like some of that forgiveness. I think that would cleanse my heart too. I'd like to have that kind of restoration experienced in my life. The transgressor becomes a teacher And then seven, staying soft. This is an interesting verse. Pay attention to the word sacrifice in the last few verses of this, um, of this psalm. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. It's an interesting line. It's actually repeated often in the Old Testament already, and it's quoted in the New Testament. Didn't God put in place in the entire book of Leviticus in lots of detail, a sacrificial system? And David goes, you don't want sacrifices. It's like, David, read Leviticus. Yes, he does. But no, he doesn't. Because this is picked up in the New Testament. And Jesus picked up in Isaiah when he talks about, great, to put it in today's language, you're going to church, but where's your heart at? That's the question, Right? God doesn't just want sacrifice, right? God's not asking us to just make sure we get a piece of bread and have the cup today. He wants us to do this in a context 
where it's actually shaping our soul, right? I was going to tell you this in a couple of minutes, but I'll tell you it now. This is how we're doing community today. We're going to do it like we've been doing it quite a bit lately. You're going to come forward or go backwards to a station, right? And as best you can, do this. Shuffle forward with a look of penitence on your face because this is an act of confession. This is recognition, I need this feeding for my soul, right? And then as you walk out, right, now you're into, into rejoicing. Now you're ready to teach other people. So as you walk out, then, you know, hands up. I know you won't do all those actions, but do it on the inside, all right? Humor me that way. Because as we come to this table, we're not doing this because we need to make a sacrifice. We're doing this because Christ has already made that sacrifice. Right? We're not going to earn this by doing some sort of ritual properly. This has already been completed in Jesus Christ, and we're simply going to come and receive it however it's given to us on this day. And then verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is this. It's a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. A broken and contrite heart. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Right? Blessed are those who recognize their humanity as well as their brokenness and sinfulness, their need to have God hold them and love them. Blessed are the childlike, basically those who will go, Daddy, I need you to pick me up. Abba, Father, take me in your hands. Right? And so what the psalmist is ending with is we need to stay in that place of humility. Stay in that place of openness. Right? Stay in that place that that veers us far away from arrogance and going, look, I've got this now. I can teach anybody. I know exactly what's going on. Stay in that place of allowing God to continue to feed you and guide you and bless you. This is the bonus slide. Look, it has the word sacrifice in it again. So the bigger picture is this. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. So that starting part is simply this. This whole deal we're in here, we do this together because this isn't simply about you and God being in the right place together, right? Christianity is never a solo activity. It's never an individualistic activity. This is always done in community, right? So my having healing in my life, my being forgiven is so that I can teach others and I can invite others and we can build a bigger and bigger community. That's, that's the plan, right? But then it says this, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, now he wants sacrifice. When does he want sacrifice? When the forgiveness and healing has been experienced and completed, when you know what's going on, when you have a relationship with God, then come and bring your sacrifice. And I know you're all wondering, he said he's going to talk about the pharaohs and they're setting the table. When is he going to do that? I'm going to do that right now. Be patient. Here it is. They brought their sacrifice of praise, right? So when you come to my house... We don't set four places because there's only two of us living in our house. We don't use plastic stuff because I'm almost ready now to be able to use the big people dishes without breaking them, right? So this is their expression of who they are and how they function, right? And you saw that when they set the table, they set it their way because they were bringing a sacrifice, an image, a participation in what we're doing. And every week, somebody else is going to come up here and do this because all of us continue to bring this sacrifice of praise in response to the fact that we already know what happens in communion. 
right? We're not coming here for the first time going, most of us anyways, we're not coming here for the first time going, oh, that's a surprise, Jesus offers forgiveness. No, we're coming because we're going, I've had it before, I want to help people know about it, I want to be in on this because it is a beautiful part of my life to know that I have a loving God, a compassionate community, and whenever I say, God, here I am, even in my brokenness, this is what I did wrong this week, we know he's going to say, I love you, I forgive you, let's keep going. Receive my Holy Spirit to fill you and shape you and move you forward. One more slide. So here's the rhythm. Come forward to confess. And we're symbolizing that day by having you actually come forward. And your standing and moving forward is confession all by itself. You're saying, I need this meal. I need Jesus' body and blood for my forgiveness. That's one confession. I've sinned. The other confession is, I believe, right? Those are the two ways. And then as you go, go and tell. Tell other people, we had communion, this is what it's all about. Or go and tell people, I've met Jesus and this is what he's done in my life. And after you've gone out, you come back in again next week and we're going to do this all over again in a different way where we again recognize, look, there's more people and there's another opportunity to celebrate and to bring that sacrifice and to see what God's been doing in my life and to multiply this reality as much as we possibly can. That's the call to which we are welcome. That's the challenge which we are given. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we receive this gift of your meal with gratefulness, with thankfulness. And we offer ourselves and our time and our gifts to participate in this and allow you to transform whatever little gift we bring into all that it's meant to be. So we bring our little selves and our broken selves and we trust that you will transform those into the gifts that will feed other people. Lord, may we have that gift of faith to believe that powerful truth that you will take and use us, you'll take these little cups and these little pieces of bread and use them to transform our hearts, to fill us and to guide us and to shape us for moving forward in you. All this we pray in your holy name. Amen.